Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. To be starting a brand new series this year called Our Church Is, and we're going to get into the details over the next few weeks of some incredible things that our church is. Today, we are focusing on our church as a family and a tiny family update before we get into the actual message. Uh, and in 2020, which was already the craziest year uh, that, that you can imagine, our church did something that was really uh, difficult for a church to do. You let me go for about four months. I left and, and moved to um, the Atlanta area uh, to make a movie uh, that we had raised millions of dollars, over $5 million uh, that we put in, in this film. Uh, and it's, it's actually one of the largest uh, independently financed films uh, for the for first time director in history. I think, I think actually it is the largest ever in the world. And uh, it, we, we made a movie during COVID. And I say we because our church made this movie, Southern Gospel. And it's difficult and challenging when you're an independent company that is a, a studio that makes your own movie. You're not going through a studio that tells you what they want. You're making the movie you want, and then you go try to get it uh, distributed and things like that. And I learned pretty quickly after we made the film and completed it in, in early October, I think, of 2020, that finding the right outlet for it um, was going to be a big challenge as outsiders, people that are not a part of Hollywood. They're really not looking for people to come in and be a part of it. So it was a very big challenge. It's been a big journey for us as a church. But uh, I am really thrilled and excited that we just signed a pretty significant deal. That uh, So not only on April 1st is our film being released as the you know, flagpole, tentpole film for a, a, an app and a company called Up Faith and Family, which will be their main Easter uh, film on their streaming services. We did a one-year deal with them, but I went from wanting the movie to be in theaters to learning that it wasn't going to be in theaters because it's just not possible. Uh, and, you know, thinking it could be in all these you know, hundreds and hundreds down to getting my expectations to maybe we could do a hundred theaters, but a very large uh, theatrical chain uh, saw our film at the last minute and got really excited about the film. And we signed all the paperwork this past week so you are going to be able to see Southern Gospel, Southern Gospel in 750 to 1,000 theaters on March the 9th this year at theaters all over the country. So you'll be able to go to any theater you want. I know that FYI, so I can keep you on the same page, it's not going to be an AMC or Regal, the company that we did it through. Uh, they have big ends with Cinemark, I believe locally here, almost any theater other than AMC or, or Regal a studio movie grill, lots of places like that. You're going to be able to see the movie. So who's going to try to help me fill up some of these seats at uh, Southern Gospel? Okay, so we've got some really good opportunities. Also, another really cool thing uh, to keep you on the same page, since it's family time, we're celebrating this together. We did this as a church. You sowed me, your pastor, which was tough already during COVID, and our team took over so well. But it's kind of neat. One of the girls in the film that plays uh, Angie, the girl who drowns at the beginning of the film and Samuel experiences a, a, a really challenging time because she drowns. The girl that made that, her name is Emma Myers. Emma is now on a show that's called Wednesday uh, on Netflix. And she was not a very famous person when she did the movie, but now she went a couple of, like a month ago, I think she had like 250 
thousand Instagram followers, but now she's got like 10 million Instagram followers. And so her character has skyrocketed, which caused Sony Pictures to come to us and ask them if they could do our foreign distribution for the film. So it's just opened up all kinds of opportunities for, for Southern Gospel. So thank you for sticking with us and believing in us and loving us. And I got news for you. It's not the last movie we're gonna do. We got another one in the works right now that we're about to start green lighting. And uh, our church is gonna see all kinds of things. We got TV shows. We're, we're raising up a school here where we're gonna teach people how to make movies, how to make films, how to create music, uh, recording studios, television studios, film studios. It's all part of our future. So uh, look at someone next to you and say, get used to changing the world. <laughs> we're gonna keep doing it for the rest of our life. Amen. Well, small groups, in my opinion, is not something you uh, should consider trying. It's something you should do uh, because it, it, it's kind of like, you know, at the beginning of the year, you say, I need to work out. I need to eat less or, well, maybe not less Oreos, but I need to do something. I, I need to do things that are more beneficial for me. Uh, this is one of those things that is not a question, should you do it? You need to do it. You need to start building those friendships and their relationships. So please sign up for your small groups. Uh, and I believe that God is gonna do incredible things through that. My text is gonna be Nehemiah chapter four, verses 13 through 14. Uh, I'm excited about this series because it talks about our church. I love the church. I do believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I believe there's a difference in a local church and just a various ministry that it has an Instagram account or even connects with people from other people's churches, far different. I'm not saying these people are, don't do great things. I believe a lot of ministries can do great things, but a local church is not about that. A local church is about the day-to-day -day health and development of people. And the Bible says that Jesus not only started this, this church, uh, the church of God all over the world, but it says that he gave himself for it. So he cares about the local church. And so in this series, we're gonna talk about the power of a local church. And every local church has different culture. Every local church has a different feel to it. So I want you to hear some of the things in this series that we believe God has spoken to us about our local church here at City of Life and the impact that we can make and the benefits for you and your family of being connected with a local church. So my text is Nehemiah 4, 13 and 14. And this is when uh, the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed and Israel was just in shambles. Uh, they had no protection for their homes because the wall had been destroyed and they're trying to rebuild the wall. And it says this right here, it says, so I stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the wall and assigned people by families with their swords, lances, and bows. After looking things over, I stood up and spoke to the nobles, officials, and everyone else. Don't be afraid of them, talking about the enemy. Put your minds on the master, great and awesome, and then fight for your brothers your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Look at somebody next to you and say, I will fight for you. Come on, look at somebody on the other side and say, I will fight for you. Come on, now look at somebody real quick and say, I may not look tough. Now hold up your fist. Say, I may not look tough. I'm telling you right now, I, I can fight. I will tell you this, I can fight. Who else can fight for your family? I can fight for my family. I'll, I'll go to the wire. I'll go to the end for my family. And that's what Nehemiah is saying, is that when we have this opportunity to thrive and to flourish and to build one another up, and you've got an enemy that's on the outside, 
that is trying to exploit your weaknesses. What it means is that we have to come together as a family and we've got to have one group that's working on fixing the problems in our life and another group that's looking outward. And when we see an opportunity fight, we have to defend each other. That's what we have to do in our nuclear family, in the home, and it's what we have to do in the church. I'm gonna talk to you today about a subject called Our Church is a Family. Father, we thank you for your presence here today. I just ask in Jesus' name that this first week in church of 2023 would be anointed, blessed, that change would break off of people, God. Lord, we pray for physical healing, uh, cancer, sickness, diseases, respiratory problems, heart problems, back problems, Lord, uh, colds, flu, COVID, whatever there is. In Jesus' name, let people be healed right now. In the name of Jesus, by the power of Jehovah Rapha here today, let there be healing and let us have a revelation of your word here today through the teaching of the Bible in Jesus' name. And everybody said, the word family is, is not the kind of word that you can just throw out and everybody gets a warm feeling from it. Uh, the reason why is so many of us have jacked up families. Uh, and we have families that um, we're, we're trying to not be like our families. Or we're trying to get away from the idea of what family was. Now, the, the dictionary says that a family is a basic unit in society traditionally consisting of two parents rearing their children. Uh, and here's why. That word means different things to different people. That's exactly what family was for me. I fit the Webster's Dictionary definition of what family was. But, but my wife, her, her father passed away when she was just a baby. So she grew up in, in a family that it looks totally different uh, than mine did. So that's why you could say the word family to her when I met her and the word family to me uh, at that time. And, and we would have two different ideas. So family, since it means different things to different people, um, one thing that you can't dispute is the, the effect that prior um, traumatic events have had on our view of what family is. There are people in this room who have never really experienced divorce in your direct family. There are other people who have been through divorce, uh, children of divorce, or maybe you're going through a divorce, and that now is going to affect your long-term view of family. Maybe the loss of a loved one or death is something that has affected your view of family. Maybe you lost a key figure in your family or someone that you deeply love, and, and the word has become painful for you. Or maybe abuse was in your family. I know my, my mom uh, has a book that is going to be released uh, around the time Southern Gospel comes out, and the book is totally phenomenal. And in that book, she deals with a lot of the abusive situations that she was put through by her father, who was an alcoholic growing up. And he literally would line my Uncle Michael, who sits up there and plays so beautifully every week, one of my favorite people on the planet, and my mom, he would line the kids up uh, against the wall and come home drunk and take his gun and shoot in between them to show that even when he was drunk, he had good enough aim not to hit someone. So does her idea of family? Is it going to match someone else's idea of family that had a, a, you know, a loving mom and dad and went to church? No. She's going to have a, 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 a skewed view and a painful view of, of what family means. It can drastically affect someone's view on family. And I think that 
as we're painting this picture of what our, our, our real nuclear family is and our personal family, I think that let, let's throw Jesus in the mix here. John 19, 26 and 27, it says, when Jesus looked down and saw the disciple he loved standing with her, down from the cross, by the way, this is at the cross, he sees John and his mother and he says, mother, look, John will be a son to you. And he said, John, look, she will be a mother to you. From that day on, John accepted Mary into his home as one of his own family. So Jesus had natural family. We see through his family history, he had, he had a prostitute in the history of his family. So his family wasn't perfect. His brother, James, did not even believe in him until after the resurrection. James was converted after the resurrection and became an apostle and a pillar of the Christian community, but his own brother didn't even believe that Jesus was Christ when Jesus was alive. So even Jesus' personal family had problems. Look at someone next to you say, that makes me feel a lot better. Why is family so important? Why is family so important? I think you have the aspect, number one, when we look in Genesis and we see God giving a mandate to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. In a Christian sense, it's very important for us as believers when we think of marriage to have a marriage that is fruitful in the sense that we're having children, pouring into kids, teaching them to love God. If you, and, and for those that cannot have children, I think that adoption is something that could be considered for someone. And if, if you can't do that, maybe foster care is something that you could do. If you can't do that, I believe that there are many opportunities through a church family to pour into children, to pour into future generations. It's really important from a family standpoint that we pass on our expertise to young people and we mentor younger people in the faith. It's one of the reasons family is so important. So I think family is really key. And one of the reasons it's key in the Bible is when you look at the Ten Commandments. When, when, when the Ten Commandments say, you shall have no other gods before me, do not make any graven image for yourself, do not take my name in vain, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And what's the fifth one? Honor your father and mother. Why? Why is that so important? Why is family so important? This is something to really key in on today. Why is that right there? After all the things that we're supposed to do toward God, why is that mentioned in the first five? Because the last five are things that were, are really outward toward people. Some people would inappropriately group this fifth one toward people because it's toward your mother and father. But I think that's the secret of it is that by honoring your father and mother, you are honoring God. And you say, oh, but you don't know my father and mother. It doesn't matter. You don't know the person that raised me. You don't know the terrible things they did. That's not the point. The point is that our family, our natural family, that whether you were raised in foster care, whether you didn't really have parents, whether you lived with an uncle, grandfather, grandmother, whoever, your, your auntie, whatever, whoever that raised you, the reason that honor your father and mother is important is it's the first place where we get to demonstrate submission to authority. And by submitting to authority, even if they are wrong, we learn self-discipline. 
We learn how to honor God because the Bible actually teaches us that when we submit to authority that God has put in place, we're submitting to God himself. So our, our family here on earth is the place where we practice Christian love first. I'll tell you one of the most uncool things that we do as people, one of the most uncool things that you can possibly do is get up, ignore your family, be rude to your family, speak harshly to them, not pay attention to them, and just kind of be shut down. You're getting ready. You're just kind of ignoring everybody. And then go outside. And you're bebopping around the first guy. Hey there, how are you doing today? First guy you see on this. You don't even know this guy. You're just Mr. Nice Guy now. You know, you're at Starbucks. Hey, what are you going to have? I'm thinking about having the venti. I don't know about you. I mean, just like, how awful is that? That the people that God entrusted us with to practice Christian love on a daily basis. Somebody say practice. We need to practice love. Amen. That's why God gave us our family. The people that we're closest to is to practice love and being kind and showing Christian love in our household. And that word honor means worth, value, weight. It means honor. Give what your parents say value and worth. And really, I think there's even something that, that's beyond that. It's saying honor your family. Give worth and value to your family. Stop treating your little brother or your little sister like they're just a little imp or something like that. Act like and treat them like they matter to you. Because what's happening is when your family matters to you and you demonstrate it to your family, you're going to learn how to go outside of your family and treat other people with value as well. But it doesn't really count. There's a line in Southern Gospel that I really like because I wrote it, but it's, it's a, <laughs> I think I wrote it from a, a scripture, from a message that I preached one time. But it says, uh, Joe looks at his son before he's about to move. Samuel, who, who, Joe is supposed to be my grandfather, looks at Samuel, who's my dad, as he's about to move to Florida and get away. And Samuel is angry over something that someone has done to him that is unfair. And Joe looks at his son and says, son, you can only love God as much as the person that you love the least. You can only love God as much as the person that you love the least. And we tend to gauge our Christian love by the people that we love the best, don't we? But the truth of it is, if we're ever going to learn the purpose of family, it's to refine us in our Christian love skills. How do we treat people with, when it comes to Christian love? And, and, and just so you know, there are no perfect families. Only a perfect God using imperfect people but we have a responsibility to make our earthly family as godly as possible. And can I tell you something? Great families, in a natural sense, do not happen by accident. They require priorities. I grew up in a family. Uh, what I love is that my mom came out of a tough situation with her family. My dad came out of a, a stronger family. There was still some things that were a little funky there between their relationship at times that never quite got worked out with my grandparents on my dad's side, but both of them deeply loved God. But my mom and dad made a decision that they wanted to start something new in their life. 
And who here maybe is a first generation, your family is a first generation of wanting to serve God fully and completely? Raise your hand if you're a first generation. Okay, so that means there's a lot of people here that have families that did serve God. So you, that would be kind of like my parents wanted to said, we have some values and some things that we want to start on our own, that we want to stand for God in a brand new way. And what they had to do is establish priorities. Somebody say priorities. Priorities are the decisions before the decisions. Priorities are the decisions before the decisions. So you don't get in a situation where you're tempted with something. So, so if, if you meet someone that, is there anyone here that you've, you've started working out this year? Raise your hand if you started working. Come on, just don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Come on. All right, anyone that started eating better this year? Raise your hand if you started eating better this year. Okay, so let me ask you a question. So, so you started eating better this year. If I offered you a chocolate chip cookie after the service was over, would you take it? I love it. She said no. Okay, this is perfect. This is perfect. Thank you so much. I was just looking for one person that would say no. I don't know if I believe that, number one, but number two, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> he said he'll, she said he'll take it. <laughs> but here's what I love about that, is that is the decision before the decision. If you make a decision and you say, my family is important to me, I am loyal to my wife. When somebody starts flirting with you, there's no decision to make. The decision has already been made. I live to make my family happy and to honor and to serve my family. I made the decision. Why? I've got a priority. So great families don't happen by accident. You have to have priorities. Priorities are the decisions before the decisions. Luke 12, 34 says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So in your family, what is your treasure? Do you have goals in your person? You say, well, I thought this said our church is a family, not my family as a family. I'm trying to teach you the principle of learning what your personal family is and then seeing how that applies to church. So what you put first in your life is what you treasure the most. What you put first in your life is what you treasure the most. It's the proof of what you treasure the most. That's why Jesus first, Jesus always. If you never read it, I'd say pick up a copy today, jump on it this year. It's about getting things in order, getting your priorities straight. You say, well, I love my family. Well, it's time to prove it. It's time to prove it. What are your priorities in your family? Make the decisions before the decisions. And if you're in a situation where you say, well, I look at my life and I see chaos, well, God looks at your chaos and he sees order waiting to happen. It's time to put some things in perspective. You know, maybe you see chaos because you're like Israel in, in that scenario where the walls are broken down. And sometimes with our family, the Bible says cities with no walls, it, 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 it's, it's open season for, for the enemy to come and pillage and to plunder. It can take whatever he wants. So we got to rebuild the walls of our families. Walls don't just appear. They have to be built. Order has to be built. It has to be implemented. So this year, at the beginning of this year, priorities, the decisions before the decisions, our priorities reveal what we truly love in life. Process precedes progress. 
You have to develop a process in your family, things that matter to you. I'm constantly saying, Pastor Amy is constantly saying in our family, we do this. We don't do this. Not you won't do this, but we, who is we? The Smiths. See, the Smiths have a way of doing things in our family that we know about. We have some principles in our family. It may have nothing to do with your family. They might do it completely different. How do you deal with conflict? My family knows how we deal with conflict. And it's, it's not necessarily how my, fam my parents dealt with conflict or their parents dealt with conflict. You know, you say, well, you know, well I'm, a, I'm a prize fighter. Well, you might need to be a peacemaker. You say, well, I'm a peacemaker. Well, sometimes you got to be a prize fighter. It, it, you got to figure out what works in your family, the dynamic that works the most. Sometimes you might not get the right results by being a peacemaker. You might not get the right results being a prize fight, fighter, but you got to weigh this stuff out. You got to talk about it. You got to pray about it. You got to agree for parameters of discipline in your home, parents. You cannot, you cannot parent one way with one parent and another parent. There should be no situation where somebody's running to one person. Can I do this? No, you can't. Dad, mom says I can't. Well, she always says, no, you go ahead and do it. Don't you tell her one day. I got you. Yo, that's whack. That's not a united front. We present a united front as a family. Who would like a couple of parameters right now for your family? I'm going to give you seven quick parameters. Write them down real quick. Number one, here's some parameters for your family to have a godly family. Don't use devastating words. Say that out loud. Say, don't use devastating words. The reason I like hearing you say that is you say, well, what are devastating words? Well, you know what they are. They're words that devastate people. I hate this. I hate that. I hate you. I can't stand this. I'm leaving. Why do you always? Why do you never? These things are devastating. I'm out of here. How about instead of attacking the person, how about together attack the problem? Instead of going after the person, See, devastating words devastate a person. Why not together try to figure out a way to solve the problems? That's number one. Don't use devastating words. Our family doesn't do it. We don't allow it. It doesn't mean it never happens. It means that we don't allow it to happen. And when it happens, we must admit that we have broken a priority that our family has set. Number two, it sounds simple, but it's Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and give the devil a foothold. Say it out loud. Say, don't go to bed angry. Don't do it with your brother, your sister, your wife, your kid. If you have anything that has been said between you and your family that is lingering out there, you figure out a way before the end of the day, not, not through a text, don't do it through something. Sorry. No. Find somebody. Call someone. Hey, look, I'm sorry that went down that way. Let's talk about it tomorrow. I really love you. Okay. Figure out a way to make it happen. Go find someone. Don't let this. Don't go to bed angry. Okay. Number three, listen to God. Humble yourself before God. Then come back to the situation and apply grace liberally. Apply grace liberally. Just cover everything with grace, with forgiveness. Go be with the Lord. If you step out of an argument and things are getting heated and say, hey, look, I need to step away from this. I don't like the way that I'm thinking right now. I don't like the things I'm saying. I got to go 
get with God for a moment. I don't care if you got to go to a bathroom outside, wherever, just get by yourself. Lord, I just ask for your patience, for your peace. Let me behave gracefully. I don't want to keep going down this road. Then come back and apply that grace. Listen to God. Number four, try and understand the other person. Try and understand what they must be feeling. Why are they saying what they're saying? Why are they so convicted about what they're saying? Where are they coming from? Have some empathy. Empathy. Try, I can't even say empathy, much less demonstrate it. Uh, try to have empathy without sarcasm. Sarcasm really hurts. Just eliminate it in your life. So try to understand the other person. Number five, try and understand with yourself. I can't even talk today. Try and understand yourself. Be honest about why you're really upset. Be honest with yourself about why you're really upset. You might be disappointed in yourself and taking things out on your family. Number six, always say, I love you. Say that. Say, always say, I love you. Always. You say, well, we don't do that in my family. Start today. Do it randomly. We're sitting around all the time watching a TV show together, and someone will go, love y'all. Now, I mean, I grew up in, you know, the South. I remember, yeah, y'all is a thing we said. But some, just somebody ran and would say, love y'all. And everyone would go, we love you. <laughs> and it just, it just, you kind of you win the moment if you can be the first one to say it. Oh, that's sweet. We love you. And, and always say it. Don't ever hang up the phone without saying it. In our family, you lose if you, if you do that. You're about to get called back and say, hey, I think you might have got cut off because it sounded like you didn't say I love you when you hung up. Your service, do you use AT&T? You got cut off. And they're like, oh no, I said it, I said, I said, I love you. That's coincidental because we were in an argument and I didn't hear it. Say it randomly, say it intentionally also. We overdo it sometimes. Sometimes people will say, hey, I gotta go upstairs real quick, grab some, okay, love you. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, we really do that. I don't think you can overdo it. You just want people to know where your heart is, right? Uh, number seven, ask for forgiveness. Don't just say, I'm sorry. Zero amens. You hate that one. I get it. It's hard. Let me repeat it again so you can understand what I'm saying. Ask for forgiveness. Don't just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry admits you made a mistake. Will you forgive me? Admits that your mistake hurt someone else. So you can do both. You can say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Can we restore what we had before? I, I said what I said or did what I did. Those are some priorities for our personal family and for your personal family. But as believers, we have a spiritual family. And our home is the place where we practice what heaven looks like. I love our church so much. The opportunity that we have in a church to be a part of the family of God, to take these things. First of all, we didn't get to choose our natural family. No one, no one got a vote on your wacky uncle that shows up at Thanksgiving, bring up politics and stuff like that. No one got a vote on that. It's like, you just deal with it in the same way. You got family here at church. Everyone is so different. The things that I've been introduced to by knowing the people that I know, 
here and, and the way my world has expanded. I had pastelis on New Year's Eve with ketchup on it, and it was amazing. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I would never have known about that. I was born in Amory, Mississippi. There's no such thing as that up there. <laughs> Not just that, just... The way God forever changes you by bringing people into your spiritual family that become your brother and your sister and like spiritual fathers or spiritual mothers or grandmothers or grandfathers, there's a relationship through the local church. And here is what I'm telling you, no matter what your earthly family looks like, our church is a family. And if you don't have a traditional family, this can give you hope and it can give you comfort. It's a reason why church is so important. And in the same way in our natural family, we practice what Christian love looks like to the world. In our church, we practice what Christian looks like, love looks like toward one another. And then we go demonstrate it in our jobs. We go demonstrate it to the people we know. It's a place where there's children, there's people of all ages, all ethnicities, races, all cultures. You come together and you trade it all in for one big culture that's better. It's a Jesus culture. It really is, and it's better than any one culture that we can bring to the table. Romans 8, 29 said, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to be like his son. Listen to this. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus is your older brother? According to that scripture, it says that Jesus was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's the founder of the church, the first member of the church. Jesus as our older brother. I didn't have an older brother, but I was an older brother. And there were lots of times where I had to go stick up for my sister. I went to a uh, I went to a party at Osceola High School one time. Someone told me, and those before cell phones, they said, your sister's getting ganged up by all these people. Man, I started pulling things. I, I, I was fighting. This was crazy. There was this party. I, I was pulling people off. I, I left I left a little bloody, but there was a couple of them bloody too. You know what I'm saying? That's my sister right there. And you'll fight for your, your, your family when you're the older brother. You'll, you'll do whatever you can to protect and Jesus is our older brother who has already fought to protect us. And we get his example. We can look up to our older brother in Christ and all of us as brothers and sisters toward each other in this local church. And Hebrews 2.11 says, So now Jesus and the ones he made holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. So I love that, the family aspect of who our church is. We get to truly experience the family atmosphere here. We get to call God, the, the Bible says, to those that God foreknew, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to give us the right to be a child of the Father, a child. We have that right to step into our church and to experience the power of family a family that demonstrates Christian love toward one another, a family that fights for each other. You already told the person next to you, you're gonna fight for them. 
So let's learn how to get to know our family much better. And let's learn how to find security and comfort. Even if you don't have the greatest family in the natural sense, you can have a church family that you come to love and appreciate. And, and you, you volunteer, you get involved. And as you get involved, you're gonna go, whoa, this, is, this church is actually not perfect. Exactly. So let's make it better. Let's improve everything that we possibly can by bringing everything we have to the table. And when you look at your own family, you're gonna realize it's not perfect. So, so what does it need? It needs more people to invest and to make it better. Invest your heart, invest your time to make it all that it can be. Who's glad to be a part of a church that is a family? We believe that we are a family. I'm, I'm grateful too. I wanna to invite you today, if you don't know Jesus, if we could bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. If you don't know the Lord, I wanna give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus right now, to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Those of you that are watching online, I believe God is moving in this room. I believe he's moving online. For those that are watching, if you need Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we sang earlier in this service about space of my heart. Your love lights the way. Your love gives me faith. Your love fills the space of my heart. That space that it's referring to in Revelation chapter three, it says, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone that will open the door and let me in, I will fellowship with him and he with me. That means Jesus wants to come and fill the space of your heart with his presence. If you've never invited him into that space, that's what I'm doing right now is giving you an opportunity to do so. And I'm gonna count to three. When I do, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand up over your head today and acknowledge that you need Jesus to be the Lord and savior of your life to come into that space in your heart. One, the Bible says now is the time of salvation. Two, I believe this day is very important, very pivotal for so many people that are listening to this invitation right now. Three, hands lifted all over the room. If that's you, lift your hand up all over the building, high up over your head. Hands going up in every single section. I believe people are lifting your hands online. Could you repeat this prayer after me? Say, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I believe Jesus died for me on a cross and rose again from the grave so I could have eternal life. He paid the consequences for my sins so I could serve the Lord and have freedom and be adopted into the family of God. I take my place in the family of God starting today. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we give God a great praise on the first Sunday in church of the year? This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.